Seeking mental health care can be overwhelming and even scary, but it doesn't have to be. I'm Dr. Josephine McNary, and I'm committed to making this process easier for you. Each week, my expert guest and I unravel a different form of therapeutic intervention in order to bring comfort and understanding and to help you get back to your true self. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Mind Stories. Today, I'm pleased to have on as our guest, Charmaine Utz. Charmaine is the founder and CEO of Living Unapologetically Counseling and Coaching Services. She owns a private practice in San Diego, California, where she uses a social justice lens, making room to discuss how internalized social and institutional oppression are part of daily life experiences. Charmaine created Bias Coaching in an effort to cultivate more safe spaces for people experiencing oppression and are wanting to learn about their specific biases. Charmaine has served as a subject matter expert on issues related to diversity, equity, and inclusion, and having courageous conversations. She provides trainings to organizations, giving employees a unique, self-explorative approach to understanding themselves and how they relate to each other. She brings authenticity and creativity to presentations and is known for inviting the audience to uncomfortable discussions as a way to connect during the learning experience. Welcome, Charmaine. Welcome to another episode of Mind Stories. Today, I'm excited to talk with Charmaine Utz. Welcome, Charmaine. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. I I really am excited. Good. Well, I came across you as I was looking actually through different therapeutic groups in different areas of California, and I saw that you were giving a talk on biases and race and justice issues that you were going to be educating actually therapists on this topic. And so it caught my eye, and then I kind of started reading a little bit about the work that you do in therapy in your therapy group called Living Unapologetically Counseling and Coaching Services. So there's so much to talk about. I guess my question is, can you talk a little bit about your specialty and how you approach it? Yes, yes. I'd say my specialty and how I approach the work, what's most significant is that I use a social justice lens. And what's funny is I didn't necessarily know this name before I was actually doing the work. I just found that I was approaching things a little differently and started doing some research and realized that it was called the social justice lens. And what that really means is it boils down to there's an acknowledgement of and making room for experiences of oppression and how that has a relationship with what clients are experiencing and their symptoms and their healing process. And when I say that, I mean, there are humans, there are so many of us that are walking through life and we experience hardships. And then there's this other layer that you add on top of it where we experience oppression every single day, systemic oppression, and then that can boil down to our own internalized oppression, where we're kind of participating in behaviors and thoughts that are kind of meant to keep us down. So part of the healing process is that we specifically and intentionally address what's happening in the world and systemic issues and how that impacts what clients are experiencing. Okay. So is it you mainly work with minorities. You know what's so funny is when I started my private practice, I I thought 
that was going to be the case. And, and I really marketed myself that way because I wanted to be able to be a resource as a Black woman, a person of color. I wanted to be able to be a resource for my community and, and other communities of color. But I found that it didn't necessarily work out that way. I work with plenty of people who are white, and it sounds funny to say it, but that actually surprised me. And so the conversations still make their way into sessions with white clients because there are lots of questions. And I've been finding that there are different family members who believe in different things and there's conflict in talking through how to support one another. So it's been quite a cool ride I didn't anticipate. Hmm. And tell me about the name, Living Unapologetically, Counseling and Coaching Services. Yes. I'm so (laughs) curious how that name evolved into the identity of your practice. Yes. Thank you for asking that. It came about because I reached my own point of where I was personally tired of trying to live according to other people's standards. Everywhere I looked, just out in the community, family, friends, and work settings, I couldn't quite get out of what felt like a hamster wheel. And I don't know, when I say I was tired, I was really tired. And I sat down for a few weeks and I really forced myself to look at what I was participating in. And I decided to free myself of what I allowed to guide my entire life. And I started thinking about so many other people that do the same things. What's funny is I have spent years encouraging others to not live according to standards. And somehow I was participating in it myself. So after this cleansing process, healing process of my own, I was like, you know what? I'm just, I'm really tired. I want to be myself. It's okay if it makes other people uncomfortable. That's part of their own work to do. And living unapologetically literally is about living unapologetically. Just be yourself. You're choosing yourself over the comfort of other people. It just, the name captured my life and what I'm hoping to encourage others to do. Got it. And I'm sure that kind of segues nicely into this idea of how that centers around race and identity. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. When working with clients, I've found, or I kind of grew up in this like clinical lens and approach where we would acknowledge that people had different dimensions of diversity, different races, but that didn't necessarily translate into how we interacted with them, what we considered, what we brought into the space that we shared together. It didn't quite make that translation. And so what I really, really strive to do is to allow people to let's like lead with that. I want to lead with who you are. And it isn't necessarily just race. It really is all of these different dimensions, your intersectional identities, if you will. Race tends to lead the way because it happens to be, I've been finding, the, the thing that people struggle talking about the most. And when people find a professional who's willing to just go there and let it be whatever it needs to be, people are just like waiting to share not only who they are, but what that has meant for them as they've grown up. So yes, it definitely has paved the way for people being able to be freer in a safe space to just say how they've experienced life and 
to know that it doesn't matter what their experience is and what their perception is. It, it is just what it is. I'm not there to question or put meaning onto it. I found that too, that oftentimes in our attempt to be understanding, we can miss a lot. And so I've just been like really enjoying that space of exploration. Right. So question in terms of the therapeutic process. So the first part is the exploration, right? And that's the majority of probably the work. What is beyond the exploration? Mm. So once we do that, there comes this place where we start to talk about what part is the clients and what part is this external systemic or even, you know, on a meso level, we tease them out so people can start to see what is in their own lane and what they want to specifically work on. And it can take a while to get through that too, because not only are we separating them out, we're also still having to build a treatment plan and talk about different interventions still in the context of living in oppression on a daily basis. So I almost want to say it still feels explorative in the parts where we are treatment planning and doing interventions because we want to see what works. Yeah, it's hard to take out exploration from that piece too, if that makes sense. Right. Yeah. I mean, and I think every kind of case and how each person interprets their experience through the mm-hmm. past how they're living in their current life is just so different. And I, I guess it just takes on, on different forms. Yeah. I could see, I mean, just the fact that someone's sitting in the room with you, say if for a client, just having someone understand the experience that the client has gone through is healing in itself right? And just being able to verbalize their struggles is part of the therapeutic process. I assume it could be really frustrating for the individual to say, you know, these are issues that aren't in my lane, right? And these are things like, I feel as if I can't change. Oh my gosh. Yes, absolutely. And honestly, I get a little frustrated too, because it is reality. You know, someone can take all the tools in the world and do their work, if you will. And then they go out into the world and the world is still operating the same. And so sometimes it can feel like you're not only helping people through their own trauma, their own individual work, but you're also helping them, I want to say put on armor. It's almost like both. And to better navigate a system that is built to keep them down, if that makes sense. It's disheartening at the same time. I love watching growth and I love being able to be there as people are making sense of their own experiences and trauma. And then when you just reach this point of, yes, this is amazing. And you still have to go out there every day and know that this is how the world views you. And that really sucks, to be honest. Yeah. Well, I think, and then part of that work is to say, all right, yeah, that's the reality, but how do you make meaning out of your life you mm-hmm. know, knowing that that's the reality right now for you? Yes. Yes. I mean, it's not uncommon for part of that discussion to be around like, what kinds of changes do they want to see? Like, how do they want to participate 
in that change, adding to that meaning and people deciding to do any number of actions. It could still be on an individual level or making changes within their own family to the other end of the spectrum where they're getting involved in systemic advocacy work, you know, as part of doing something to change the system. Right. Tell me a little bit about your bias coaching. Oh, yes, absolutely. So over the years, I've worked in nonprofit for about 10 years, and I was supervising for the majority of that. And informally, I found myself working with a lot of my colleagues around their own biases. It was like really, I just loved the conversations. I loved helping people see areas they didn't notice before. And in the last few years, it's become more of this formalized process where I've intentionally helped people sit down and have some difficult conversations and to question and examine their interactions with clients or staff or even their own colleagues. So when I say formal now, what I do is I do individual bias coaching for leaders and organizations. There are some people who have chosen to, they may not be a leader in an organization, they actually just want to work on their biases. I developed, unfortunately, COVID happened and I didn't get to roll this out, but I created bias coaching for clinicians and leaders. And that's all around helping people look at their interactions specifically with clients and staff and to look at like their past, like the messages that they received and like, what does that look like as you're interacting with these people that you're serving and helping them become more aware so they can make different decisions and change their interactions and provide better services to the people that they are serving. And it's been like so, so cool to be a part of that. It's another one of those things where people are hungry to get into that work, but they aren't sure how to do it. I just help people go there. You know, I get the questions, it's enacting different scenarios and helping people discover like, oh shoot, I, I did not know that that was even a message. And I had no idea that that's what this interaction meant. Right. Well, that takes quite a bit of humility (laughs) and ability to kind of understand that their actions have consequences beyond what they initially think. That's incredible. I mean, I think the person who goes through the bias coaching is already wanting to understand themselves a little bit better and understand how they're maybe perceiving other people or people are perceiving them in the world. Yes, yes, absolutely. And honestly, those are the people I want to work with, the people who want to do the work. You know, I have found, especially when it comes to bias trainings, that most of the market is catered to introducing the conversation. And I don't want to say convincing people, but there's an element of it's in a workplace and here are the standards around biases. So we must manage them to treat each other well, per se. And that doesn't always lend itself to helping people who want to do deeper work. Mm -hmm. So where I come in is to target the people who want to go deeper. They've already said, I want to do differently. And honestly, I wouldn't be great at reaching the people who don't want to do the work because I just know that about myself. So you're right. Like they already come to the table with that desire and hunger to create internal change. Right. And it almost, I kind of want an idea about just overall general 
positive movement, maybe those are the people to identify as opening their eyes in terms of how to do things differently. I don't know. It just seems that I'm assuming with, you know, with all the Black Lives Matter activity, I mean, you've been, I think, probably incredibly busy. Yeah. Yes. It, I do not want to say good timing. I almost said good timing and I know I just said it, but I was already moving on this train. And when all of what happened this year just like heightened people's responses and actions, I felt more compelled to move quicker. I was already moving, but I I realized like, no, there's a lot going on right now and people are wanting to make some shifts. And in June, I released a 30-day bias challenge. It was honestly just to help people start having discussions with themselves and, and hoping that it created motivation to want to do more work and to improve their relationships with other people. And the response, was, I was so surprised by the response and it was shared so quickly. I immediately jumped into another mode where I started creating this online course, which is set to release on September 8th. It's actually going to go on sale for pre-sale on the 1st of September. And it's called Bias Work. And it's an essentials course where it's everything that that people need to know about biases to get foundational knowledge to really start to take their growth to the next level. It's no longer just, I have biases, I want to do something about it. I go into a five-module curriculum and give people tools and strategies to figure out their own personal biases and goal set to keep it on their radar on an ongoing basis. Hmm. Well, by the time this podcast comes out, it'll already be out. Oh, yeah. <laughs> People will for sure be able to access it. So we'll make sure that link is connected to this podcast episode so people can check it out. Wow. It's, so it sounds like it's, if you think about the work you do, I mean, you work not only with individuals in the room or over Zoom, right? Mm-hmm. But it's also trying to have kind of a little bit more of a farther reaching effect to be able to really kind of provide training and education to much larger groups of people. Yeah. When I originally started my private practice, I did envision having a hybrid of working with a group of clients and then being able to have an impact in the clinical field and with leaders in organizations. But honestly, as a result of what's happened this year, it's starting to pull me a little bit further away from private practice and into working with individuals who are serving clients. And I'm okay with that. And I love that because people are looking for different ways to interact with their clients and how to approach conversations. And so I I say all that to say, and like, yeah, now I've got a smaller group of clients that I'm working with and I'm creating trainings and trying to do as many webinars as possible so that not only therapists, but like clinical supervisors, people that work in the mental health profession can take the information and incorporate it in in any way that makes sense to them, but they have more tools to talk about oppression, talk about race, ethnicity, talk about injustices, to just go there with their clients and, and even staff if they're like a clinical supervisor. 
Right. And just so for clarification, though, the bias coaching is not just for mental health providers, right? It could be for anybody. Yes, it can be for anybody. I've found, though, that it is utilized by executive leadership in nonprofit, still the helping profession, mm-hmm. and clinicians. Got it. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it has a little bit of a wider umbrella, right? Yes. Yes. Yeah. And this kind of talking a little bit about in terms of thinking about through a therapist or mental health providers, many mental health providers are white female Mm -hmm. women or middle-aged white women. And so it, it is kind of putting them in this space to be like, you should be having these conversations with your clients, with your clients of color or, you know, minorities or anybody who feels that they've had kind of experiences with oppression. And I think it's really helpful because we haven't necessarily been trained about how to have those conversations. And you talk about kind of leading people into these uncomfortable conversations, right? Mm -hmm. But I guess my question is, what is your recipe, right? How, and maybe that's too hard to answer. (laughs) How is it that you're able to kind of help people engage and move more towards these uncomfortable topics? It is a hard question. However, when you ask that, I do have a formula. Well, it's somewhat of a formula. So one, I don't really have any particular end goal or place I'm trying to get people to be, my process with people is extremely self-reflective and explorative combined with information for them to choose what they want to do because everyone is in such a different place. Not everyone's going to be able to take this information and just completely transform their practice or wants to, to be honest. And so I always start with where people are at. It's honestly, it's going to sound a lot like working with clients, but starting with where they're at, what is their understanding of this space so far? And what are their fears and worries? What are they hoping to get out of this experience? And then when I share the different tools and foundational information, I guide people through more exploration. So what? where are you at? If you were to look at yourself on a continuum, somebody who's doing absolutely nothing to doing everything you want to do and more, where are you at? And what does that look like? And helping people paint that picture. What are you currently doing that puts you at this place on this scale? So that means behaviors that they're doing or things that they're saying to themselves. And if they're not doing any of those things to also note that, what are you not doing? And then creating space for them to decide what are some actionable items that they can do right now to make that shift? There's also pieces in there where I'm asking questions and asking people where that came from. If you have this belief, if you have this worry, what is under that? So that they can learn a little bit more about it and move from this. A lot of people feel a little paralyzed or stuck. They want to do something and they're just really fearful of moving to this place where they're talking more about it. There's a fear around looking like they are connected to racism somehow, if not even racist, or saying the wrong thing, or chasing clients away. Or if they do take this stance towards more anti-racist or more multicultural, will they lose clients who don't like that? There's so much holding people back. Mm. Uh, So it's super explorative the entire way. And I'm just giving people bits of information and, and guiding them through it. 
Right. And I guess that's the best place to start. I'm debating if I should ask this question, but I'm going to ask it. Yes, ask it. You know, I'm just curious about your answer. So let's say a client, so someone who's thinking about seeing a mental health professional and they're a person of color. How important do you think it would be for them to have a therapist or a provider who shares their same racial identity? Well, one, thank you for the question. Never even hesitate to ask anything like that. And then two is, I don't want to speak for everyone as you know, a blanket response, but I can tell you from what I know, it's very, very common that people would love to sit in front of a person that looks like them. Mm-hmm. And as you've already pointed out, that's not necessarily the case. The field has way more white professionals than any person of color. So I think that and I put myself in the category because I've gone to my own therapy. I had to go through the same process and ended up seeing a white woman. People typically are searching for professionals who look like them. And some are fortunate to find someone, but more often than not, people either choose not to go at all, or they may see a white professional, but there's this this huge guard that's up, you know, and worry about what that means and will they really get the help that they need. So I'd say it's extremely important for many people to have a therapist that looks like them. Mm -hmm. Right. And it's kind of a process though. Let's say if you can't find, you don't have options, right? Mm -hmm. And I guess just the hope is that you will see somebody who's kind of sensitive and is understanding in terms of just these issues and who maybe has gone through bias coaching in a way. (laughs) (laughs) The hope is that they've been able to engage in that conversation with other professionals about how to approach clients who've had different experiences and continue to have different experiences than they would. Yeah, absolutely. And I would even add not only how to approach those clients, but how to be approachable Mm -hmm. and the ways that they market themselves? What is it on your website? What is it in your documentation? Like, What are you communicating to people that makes you even approachable to different types of people? So I'd say it's both. And bias coaching helps people look at how they are in this space from before a client even gets to them to the end. And you're just thinking, this is a little off topic, but mm-hmm. The space that this type of bias coaching could have in just education in general, Mm -hmm. does curriculum exist that's similar in earlier education? I am not familiar with a curriculum that addresses this. I mean, trainings on biases have been around for a really long time, at least since the 70s. But I feel like now... Within the last decade, it's increased. But honestly, this year, people are really ramping it up. I would love to see, if not see, participate in the development of a curriculum. But I am not aware of anything like that that exists at this moment. Yeah, I was just thinking that that would be pretty amazing. Yes, absolutely. Right. Instead of having to educate grown adults, professionals about this, right? It should start much earlier, but maybe that's just hope for a kind of future direction. 
Yes, one one day in an ideal world, I would hope that that it's everywhere. You know, it's just a normal part of what we talk about because it's not, they're not bad, you know? Right. Well, I want to be mindful of your time and the listener's time as well. I mean, we can talk about this forever and ever, but, you know, in terms of thinking about closing items, is there something that maybe you would like to bring up before we say goodbye or any topic we haven't touched on? I think maybe one thing that stands out to me is something that I have personally found helpful that's helped me stay oriented to this approach and this lens that I use is incorporating and just referencing like multicultural and social justice counseling competencies. Because I really like the way that it goes into the responsibility of a clinician to look at power and privilege as it relates to interactions with clients. So I would just say like as a resource, I would encourage people to to look at that and see if it makes sense for them to consider putting it on their radars or putting some things into practice that helps them do some work and make some shifts so that they can reach more clients, people who look different, different dimensions of diversity. Got it. Okay. Well, we'll make sure we include as many resources as we can on the description so the listener, if they're not just maybe a client or maybe a therapist themselves or someone kind of in the helping profession that wants to just kind of make sure that they are more sensitive towards these issues, they can get some, some good resources. Well, I really appreciate your time and the work that you're doing. I'm, I'm so excited about the work you're doing. And I mean, I know there's frustrations, but there's also a bit of hope associated with the direction you're moving in. Well, thank you. I, I appreciate you and this talk and, and I'm excited. I'm excited about where the opportunities that are out there for people to learn and grow and improve our relationships with one another. So thank you so much for having me. Yeah. Well, best of luck with everything and I'm excited to see where it goes. Thank you. This has been Mind Stories. With remote appointments in California and offices in downtown Los Angeles, Santa Monica, Hermosa Beach, Marina Del Rey, and Echo Park, Health Psychiatry specializes in medication management, mood and anxiety disorders, alternative therapies, women's mental health, and more to help you get back to your true self. Visit us at calpsychiatry.com. Thank you for listening to Mind Stories, and don't forget to subscribe.